What is going on, everybody? Jamie Shaw here on the Absolute Basketball Podcast, and I am joined today by John Chepkovich of the Professional Basketball Combine. Uh, very excited for y'all to listen about our talk about the 2020 uh, NBA Draft. Uh, we talk about the top group with the, the Ball, Edwards, and Wiseman. We talk about some sleeper lottery guys. Uh, we talk about the differentiation between the, the, the guard cluster. Uh, there we talk about the differentiation between the uh, first round wing cluster. Uh, talk about some second round sleepers, some guys uh, from the North Carolina area, um, and so much more. So uh, very excited for you guys to listen. But before we jump into it, if you would please go ahead, subscribe to the channel. If you would go ahead and give it a five-star rating and leave us a review as to what you enjoyed, what you agreed with about uh, this podcast and, and during this episode. But without further ado, here is John Chepkovich with the Professional Basketball Combine on the Absolute Basketball Podcast with Jamie Shaw. Thank you guys very much. What is going on, everybody? It is Jamie Shaw here on the Absolute Basketball Podcast. Very excited to have the Director of Scouting for the Pro B-Ball Combine, uh, John Chepkevich, in with us today. We're going to talk a little NBA stuff, a little NBA draft, um, and, and get into a little bit about what the Pro Basketball Combine is and what he's doing on uh, social media to really um, kind of put his name out there and, and put the company's name out there and stuff. John, how you doing today? What's going on, Jamie? Uh, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it, man. No, absolutely. It's uh, as we were saying offline. I, I really appreciate the stuff that you've been doing, the interviews that you've been doing, and all the stuff with all these uh, pro prospects and and everything too. It's, it's, it's been good to see because you've done a great job of differentiating also between guys that will get drafted, guys that are borderline guys, two way guys, and even possibly guys that may not get drafted or will go overseas. So I, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, it's just a, an uncertain time right now. And there's a lot of uh, guys that are about to start their pro career, wherever that is, whether it's the NBA, the G League or overseas that are kind of stuck right now and not really able to showcase what they bring to the table like they normally would at the outset of their career. So just wanted to give them a platform to kind of show how, how they read the game, how they see the game and just, you know, get their name out there. No, it, it's, it's totally cool what you're doing. One question I had to ask, though, is, is like looking into it, you're talking to these guys daily and going through the stuff. How are these guys during this time of quarantine, they're not able to go on visits and all that stuff. How are these guys handling this process right now? Yeah, that's a good question. So it seems to vary quite a bit from player to player, dependent on where they're located. Um, it really varies what kind of resources they have available. It seems like most guys are finding their way into a gym in some way, shape, or form to get some shots up. Uh, but, you know, the level of access or availability definitely varies. Um, it seems like a lot of guys are taking some time to um, dig into film or to find little minor areas to tweak their game. A lot of guys are spending some time prepping for interviews with, uh, with NBA teams and front offices because um, a lot of that is a little bit new and unique to them. So, guys are finding different ways to take advantage of this time that they're stuck at home for sure. No doubt. It's, it's a very unique time and, and something that I don't envy, especially for guys that are possible two-way guys or guys that are, you know, fighting to get drafted. It's a tough, it's a tough time to differentiate yourself. For sure. Like right now typically is, you know, when leading up to the combine, all these teams would be having their array of, workouts in person so typically NBA workouts they have six guys in at a time yeah. there's some three-on-three -three going on there's some shooting drills there's all kinds of you know different workouts going on at the team's facility and so a guy who maybe is 
on the borderline of being drafted or maybe a two-way guy would get that chance to compete against maybe a guy at his position that's projected a little higher. And sometimes, even though it's a small sample, those can leave a lasting impression on the front office personnel that are in attendance there. So it's unfortunate that these guys don't have that opportunity now, but everyone's trying to navigate it and figure out how best to position themselves as well as they can. Absolutely. So kind of jumping right into it there, there's an obvious kind of tier thing here. Um, Talking about the top three that most people have in the top three, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman. Tell us a little bit about each of those players in your eyes, because I know you kind of take an analytical look at things, which is something I really appreciate too. What, what are your thoughts on those three players? And then kind of how do you tier them uh, individually? Sure. So I guess just from the outset, for me there, uh, the order I think would be the order that you kind of laid out there, right? LaMelo Ball to me is the one who stands out the most of those guys as far as translatability and impact to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems that Edwards and Wiseman would require a bit, uh, you know, more favorable situations and uh, to get themselves into, to be able to blossom. Um, Whereas, LaMelo already has that high-level instinctual feel and ability to create for his teammates. So I think you can kind of drop him in and have him make an immediate impact and kind of elevate his teammates off the bat. Um, Edwards, you know, obviously super talented, natural scorer, physical specimen, right? There's a lot of of upside there, as everyone likes to state, but I think it's just going to take a little bit more development and a little bit more time and you know, he would thrive in a, I guess, an environment where you have a good player development Mm -hmm. staff, you have a good team fit there. Um, Wiseman of the three, uh, obviously super talented, has been sort of touted as the guy for this class for several years now, uh, before Edwards reclassed and found himself in the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, Wiseman obviously you know, has the physical tools, he's, you know, has the pedigree. Um, The question with him to me is just, you know, where does he fit in the modern NBA, right? Like he's a guy who's going to come in, he's going to put up some numbers, he's going to be productive in the regular season right off the bat, I think. But does the stuff that he is able to do translate to eventually contributing to a team in the playoffs and making the finals push? Not totally sure. Yeah. It's very possible that he can figure that out, maybe maybe kind of, uh, you know, kind of understand what he brings to the table and what he can tweak in order to turn into like a playoff winning caliber player. But it's just kind of remains to be seen uh, if that's going to be the case and if he's able to do that. Yeah, he's kind of one too, Wiseman, that the physical tools, his ability to run, his hands, his length, his frame – it's almost too much to ignore that there's a definite for sure. There's a floor there that he, you know, he 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 can be. He'll at least contribute for sure. With Edwards, you being a stats guy and a numbers guy, does his does his efficiency or absolute lack thereof not scare you at all? It does. I mean, it, it's definitely troublesome, right? And it a lot of that. It's not like all of that comes down to you know, not being able to make shots or, you know, not being talented or not being a, 
you know, having major issues with his shot mechanics or anything like that. It, a lot of that just comes down to decision-making that's driving the inefficiency. Right. And, you know, some of that might be contextual mm-hmm. in the situation that he's in at Georgia. Right. You have to sort of like take all of that into account. You can't just take always the efficiency numbers at face value, yeah. but you know, he's been asked to carry a major load there. And, you know, you can write some of the inefficiency off to just the usage and the necessity to take tough shots, Mm -hmm. but he certainly does have um, a wide array of occurrences where he's taking kind of forced difficult looks early in the shot clock that you could, you know, maybe find something better, uh, you know, better opportunity cost there on that possession to get a more efficient look. So that's definitely the biggest area of improvement for him is just his decision-making and shot selection and kind of like honing that in. He has the talent to make tough shots. He's a great tough shot maker, mm-hmm. but maybe picking and choosing your spots a little bit more could be helpful for him. Sure. Um, and then I guess looking past those top three, you have two of the more polarizing guys. Um, you got, you got Obi Toppin and Cole, Cole Anthony. They kind of went opposite directions. Cole was a, top three guy coming into the season and he kind of plummeted. Obi wasn't even thought of in the first round and now he's up in the top three. So both of those kind of guys that have had huge jumps over the last couple of months. What, what are your thoughts on those two guys and where do you have them kind of slotted at? Yeah, that's a good question. These guys are both polarizing in their own sort of ways. So Toppin was the player of the year this year, right? Just insanely productive led Dayton to being a, you know, a potential final four team if the NCAA tournament had happened. Um, one of the things that I think, you know, people who are deep into the draft and studied all of this obviously know that, you know, Toppin's a sophomore, but he's 22 years old already, right? Like he's older than a lot of the seniors in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely something not to be taken lightly, right? He's out here producing like this, but he's at the age of a senior. So you got to consider that, but I, I believe in Obi Toppin as an NBA prospect ultimately because the offensive translation is just so clean. Like he's going to be able to come in and he's going to be a plus offensive player off the bat. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can find a good, um, you know, a good fit for him that, you know, if you surround him with other talented offensive players and shooters, you know, he can run some pick and pop. He can, dive to the rim as well. He's got some versatility into how he can punish you with his offensive game. So I think off the bat, he's going to contribute immediately offensively. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cole Anthony, you know, he's a guy that, uh, again, he's a little bit older for his class too, right? He's already 20 years old as a freshman, but has major pedigree, you know, obviously comes from uh, NBA bloodlines, uh, was really dominant in these events leading up to the season, right? So played in the uh, the Nike Basketball Academy out there at Mamba Sports Academy this summer and uh, was a big standout there. Um, in high school and in AAU, I think he was able to show a little bit more of his playmaking ability uh, than he was able to as far as the translation to actual assist rate and assist production in college. And – I think, again, with Cole Anthony, we get down to some of those same elements of uh, taking into account the context of his team there, right? So North Carolina, I can't remember the exact number, but there's 360-something D1 teams. I think they were 350-something in the three-point shooting. Yeah. Uh, so 
for Cole Anthony to have two bigs clogging up the paint the whole time and not have any shooting gravity surrounding him, that put him in a tough situation as well. So some of his inefficiency, along with battling injuries all year, you have to take that into account as well and know that those stats necessarily can't be taken at face value. So Cole Anthony, I feel like still is a lottery talent in this draft. It's just, he's kind of, kind of slidden from like a top three guy at the beginning of the year down toward the more the tail end of the lottery. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, do you think that's justified? Um, I mean, I, you know, we hear, just like we said, it was tough, tough situation to be in bad team, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but we saw what he was playing at Oak Hill. We saw what he was on the EYBL. Yeah. We saw what he was at the McDonald's practices and, and all that kind of stuff where he was arguably the best player on every floor he stepped on throughout that entire year. Um, you know, do you think it's justified him being, I mean, cause there are questions. I mean, his, his, you know, his, his length, his age, all that type of stuff are questions, but you know, we've seen him be great. For sure. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think some, you know, it depends where, who, you know, whose board you're looking at or, opinions are varying. I mean, you'll see some people dropping him outside of the lottery. You'll see some that it still remain high on him, have him at four or five. I mean, I think you can justify taking him basically anywhere from, you know, five or six down through the end of the lottery just kind of depends on, you know, where the lottery balls end up falling and what the team situations are. You could see him come off the board at any point uh, in that range. And I agree with you on Obi top. And I think his offensive ability is just too much to, you know, to, to, to pass on. I mean, sure, he's going to have defensive limitations and is he a yeah. small ball five or a four or what is he, all that kind of stuff. But his just offensive versatility is, is so high level. Yeah, the offensive skill and, you know, the fact that he became a, a pretty good shooter this year and able to do some stuff off the dribble, all of that's really say, encouraging. Off the dribble, he could pass it too and stuff too. Yeah, no, I mean, he can make stuff happen. He can be a really productive offensive player off the bat. The defensive concerns are real, though. He's kind of, you know, for as athletic as he is with vertical pop and everything, he's a little bit stiff and, like, opening up his hips and sliding defensively. And then, you know, to your point, does he play the four? Does he play the five? We've seen multiple instances this year when he's played kind of a small ball five and just gotten eaten alive by bigs and, you know, Yudoka Azabuki out in Maui, that's the one that sticks out. Mm-hmm. You know, Toppin had an awesome offensive game and hit that crazy step back three with the little between the legs dribble and shake, right? That That's one of the standout plays of the season. But, you know, on the other end, he was getting absolutely eaten alive by Azabuki. And, you know, Azabuki's obviously a, a monster. That's a big dude and <laughs> understandable. But he's going to be facing a lot of big dudes like that in the NBA if he's asked to play small ball five. So, you know, there's some concerns there with the inability to guard big bigs and, you know, sometimes to be able to open his hips up and stay in front of quicker guys as well. Yeah. And and, and this next question is more of a philosophical thing. Um, It kind of ties into that. There's no definite, I think maybe outside of LaMelo ball, I think he, he might be a definite number one overall guy, but outside of that, nobody's really differentiated themselves are you more of a draft to the fit of the team or draft the best player possible, especially when you're in the lottery? Um, I'd say I lean more toward the best player available um, side of things. And, but obviously with that, your best player available for 
one given team is, you know, that's going to vary drastically from another different team's board. So there, there is some element of, you know, draft philosophy or that, you know, kind of alludes to fit in some way, shape or form, right? Do they fit into your team system? Do they fit into your team's culture? Like you got to take into account the medical stuff. You got to take into account the Intel stuff, right? So the, a lot of this is going to vary from team to team, but overall I would say that the, you know, overarching strategy I would believe in more is the best player available. Sure. Uh, kind of moving on a little bit. There's a, there's no elite wings. This is a wing driven game. I think, you know, we, just everybody watching the last dance uh, kind of Jordan transitioned this into a wing driven game. Um, there's no elite wings really in this class. There's a cluster of them though, that have definite positives and definite negatives uh, moving, looking at Isaac Okoro, Sadiq Bay, Aaron Neesmith, Devin Vassell, and a couple overseas guys, but we won't get into them. Um, you know, talking about the domestic guys here, um, what do you like about Okoro Bay and Naismith and Vassell, and how do you kind of tier those guys together? Yeah, so for me, out of that that cluster, I think Vassell is the guy. I mean, I, I think Vassell is exactly what you look for in a modern NBA wing. Like, the guy is a really smart, instinctual off-ball defender, he can shoot the ball. Um, I mean, this year, his major down with efficiency, so that's definitely a big uh, differentiator as far as his uh, profile as a prospect this year. So, you know, the ability to kind of be that versatile guy and uh, make those off-ball reads, disrupt some plays in the pick and roll, disrupt some passing lanes off-ball, I think he's kind of the standout guy of that group. E. Smith and Sadiq Bay, these guys can both shoot the ball like crazy. They're both up in like 45 plus percent from three on some volume. Uh, you know, Neesmith obviously missing games with injury, but both of those guys have some size and can shoot, which is obviously sought after. But I think, uh, you know, your Vassell and Okoro of that bunch, those guys' ability on defense kind of separates them from the others in the group. I got you. So, so if all things given equal, you would rather take a defensive player than an offensive player? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, I, I think that, you know, they're back to what we were talking about earlier with the ability to contribute to winning in the playoffs and like making a championship run. You don't want to have, make a major investment in guys that'll get played off the floor, um, you know, when it gets to, down to the nitty gritty in the playoffs, right? When your rotation shrinks down to, you know, seven, eight guys and you have to be able to rely on guys to, you know, guard multiple positions, not get played off the floor, not get kind of picked on. So I'm not saying that, you know, your Sadiq Bays or Neesmiths necessarily will get played off the floor, but I think that, you know, Vassell and Okoro, those guys, what they bring defensively just makes them a little bit cleaner of a translation and a little safer bet. I got you. I, I agree with you on Vassell. I think he's, I think he's the number one guy in that too. Just for the exact reasons you said, his ability to shoot three and D. He's the epitome of three and D guy that yeah will come in and, you know, he he he's a guy who can come in and play immediately. I think I don't know if the other guys can come in and play immediately. Right. Um, and then we got the cluster of guards, the cluster of point guards that kind of go from the mid first round down to the second round. Um, you know, you got Cassius Winston, Devon Dotson, Trey Jones. Um, Throw throw Kira Lewis in there um, as well. Um, how do you kind of, and even Tyrese Maxey too uh, recently? Um, who do you how do you kind of differentiate those guys and, and what are you looking at with each of these guys? 
Yeah, so there's definitely a cluster of guards that are kind of in that late first, early second round mix as far as the consensus opinion goes. Um, and it, it's really going to depend on, on like team preference. But as far as what I think, um, you know, from that group, I think, I think I would kind of add your Grant Riller, Tyrell Terry, and Jared Butler into that mix as well. Um, those are three guys that I uh, sort of tend to prefer even over some of the guys that you've mentioned there. Um, Grant Riller, uh, this is a guy that I spoke to during one of my recent remote film room sessions and uh, in digging into his tape, the past few years, his finishing at the rim for being a six foot three guard is just absurd. He's got this crazy first step burst and then just has a knack for you know, getting up in the air, absorbing contact, kind of contorting his body and finishing amongst bigs. And uh, he's improved his game in a lot of other ways as well. He, you know, he had an injury early in his career that he's been recovering from. The vertical pops coming back. The passing is improving. I think Grant Riller is a guy who's kind of in that late first, early second round mix that when it's all said and done, could end up returning lottery level value. Um, I agree with you on Riller. He, um, I saw him play a couple times this year, and of all the high school, college games I saw this year, uh, he was the best. He was the best player I saw um, play. Uncanny ability, feel, burst, change of pace to get to his spots. He he knows his yeah. spots, and he knows how to get to them. And exactly. He anybody, he does it against anybody. Exactly, and it you know anytime he plays anyone that's like a high major or highly ranked team, it it doesn't it doesn't drop off like crazy, right? Like this guy can play against anyone. He's got the confidence and, you know, I believe in Grant Riller for sure. Uh, completely different player, like as far as what they bring to the table and someone who's kind of become polarizing in this range is Tyrell Terry. Mm -hmm. uh, the opinions definitely differentiate on him. And I think mostly just because of his frame, right? The guys, you know, six, six two or so, a hundred and, 60 something pounds right so you know off the bat people are going to be a little bit thrown off by that he's not necessarily the you know flashiest guy so a lot of the things that you know a casual observer might notice that would you know cause you to be intrigued by a guy maybe you know take maxi for example um has the physical build like has the uh, pedigree guy who's been known for being like a tough shot maker, tough as nails, like kind of clutch guy, has all those other intangibles. Tyrell Terry has intangibles as well, but they're a little bit different, right? Like his feel for the game is ridiculous. His IQ is off the charts and the shooting for him is just absurd. Um, you know, you have this, this kid that's coming in to Stanford, you know, was an RSCI top 100 guy, but, you know, more toward the bottom end of that these come in and immediately kind of propelled that program. And it's, you know, pretty striking the extent with which he's kind of impacted that whole team. And that when he's on the court, he just drives so much positive on, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so two, two of the guys you mentioned there, I, I want to jump into Winston Dotson and those guys as well. Sure. Butler and Terry, I think are, are, really good questions about those two butler also his handle like he almost is yeah. like cj mccollum type handle with his with his moves yeah. and, and all that kind of type of stuff 
any other year, those two guys, I feel like, would be locks to, to go ahead and go into the draft and all that kind of stuff. Tyrell Terry, him coming back with the team Stanford has coming back, also them getting Zaire Williams in this class and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that they would possibly be better served? Because these guys are guys that if you see them work out, they're going to they're gonna pop. They're going to pop immediately. Tyrell Terry's ability to shoot the ball. I mean, he's out to the volleyball lines. There's nothing but net. Yeah. Striping it. Um, getting him in workouts and all that kind of stuff. And then Butler, I, I have a feeling, especially with the slow guards up at the top, Tyrese Halliburton and all that kind of stuff, that he would really pop in the workouts as well, being able to beat these guys off the dribble. Um, yeah. Do you think them possibly coming back, especially in Terry's case, but Butler as well, because they're they'll both probably, if they come back, be top 10 teams, top 15 teams possibly in the country. Them coming back, having huge years, could propel them, in, instead of being first or second round questionable, into the lottery. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's always sort of that, uh, you know, Some I think sometimes it's easier to come back because, you know, anyone can announce they're going to return to school. All the fans are happy. You can put hashtag unfinished business in your tweet and everyone gets all riled up about it. And, you know, people might peg you as a top returner, but there's some risk involved in that. Like, like we were talking about earlier, um, you know, the age curve, right? Like being another year older, uh, you know, definitely is a knock when it's all said and done. Like that ends up, ends up happening when you're weighing certain things, especially on the analytical side. Um, and you know, I guess take Baylor, for example, they were number one, number two, all season this year and Butler ended up as um, an all American when it was all said and done. So, you know, they didn't get the chance to kind of close out the season with an exclamation point in the NCAA tournament, unfortunately, but I'm not a hundred percent sure like what coming back is going to ultimately do for him. Right. It's a kind of weak, weakish draft class this year, you know, is and next year might be a little bit stronger. And while there may be this sort of cluster of guards in the, a similar range, I'm not 100% sure that coming back for either of these guys is, you know, the necessarily the best decision. You know, if you can come out and you can get guaranteed money and potentially be a first-round pick, even if it's late first round, uh, I think that you come out and you get yourself into an NBA program and you capitalize on it from there. Yeah. And go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead and get that, get to that second contract. Cause that's what everybody needs to do. Right. Um, and, and I guess the rest of the guards, uh, Winston Dotson, Jones, uh, Kyra Lewis, who's made a huge jump in the last couple of weeks in people's eyes. Yeah. And Tyrese Maxey. What are your thoughts yeah. thought on these guys? Yeah. So I think, I mean, of that group to me, Kyra Lewis is kind of the guy, um, back to the age thing again he's uh you know he started college at 17 right so he's he's a sophomore but he's younger than pretty much all of these other guys all the other freshman guards um you know some of the just raw numbers there uh can be a little misleading just because they play with such a frantic pace right like they're pushing the ball up and down the court so just you have to account for that in um you know in the analytical side but the dude's a blur. Like he's really, really fast. He can get out in transition and make things happen. And, you know, I think he's a guy who can come in and kind of contribute pretty early off the bat. He's got the frame concerns as well. Like how we were talking about with Perry, um, doesn't get brought up as much with Kyra, but you know, he's still 165, 170 pounds as well. He's going to need to 
kind of bulk up a little bit there to be able to take some more physicality at the next level. But I, I think of that group, he's sort of the cleanest translation. Um, another guy that I would toss into that mix too is Malachi Flynn. Uh, uh-huh. You got an, you know, he's also in that same range. It's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Cause you know, you have a guy like Cassius Winston who, he might end up sliding a little bit and I don't know if that's, that's fair or if that's right, but it's entirely possible that that could happen. Cause you know, he's older than all these other guys. And sometimes that ends up being the differentiator that, you know, Cassius Winston and Devon Dotson, both really, really good college players at prominent programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Dotson is a couple years younger he's a little bit faster, you know, neither of them is big, but Dotson is an absolute blur, you know, might end up kind of pushing him over the edge as opposed to Winston from a scouting perspective and then add in the age thing. So I think you're going to see a lot of these guys get picked in that late first, early second round range, but at some point, one or two of them are going to end up inevitably sliding uh, toward the tail end of the second round just Mm -hmm. because of the, you know, volume of guys there. Yeah. And so two quick questions for you here too. When looking at a prospect and all this kind of stuff, how much do you value winning and winning at the highest level? Cause like a Devon Dotson or something, you know, coming through, he, he's won at the high, highest level, produced at the highest level. So if Trey Jones, the same thing and everything, how much do you kind of take that into account as opposed to maybe a, a, a Kira Lewis who didn't do that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you can't just totally disregard it, right? Because when it's all said and done, winning is the goal at all times, right? So I think there's definitely something to be gleaned from it and seeing a player in those high leverage situations in big games and clutch moments, like there's definitely, you know, something you can take away even more so on like the mental makeup side of things, right? Like can they handle that pressure? But when it's all said and done, a lot of that ends up being like a small sample, like the clutch stuff is really small sample, but, you know, driving winning is important. And if a guy can, you know, continuously show that like from the high school level to AAU into college for, you know, a prominent program, then there's definitely value in that. And that can't be, you know, dismissed by any means. And then another thing about these point guards too, we mentioned these guys, Grant Riller, Jared Butler, um, uh, Devon Dotson, Kira Lewis, they, mm-hmm. they all have great first steps. Yeah. Looking, looking above into the lottery, you have Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton. Both of them, you know, they're longer, they're bigger, mm-hmm. but they can't get by their man without a screen. Yeah. Does that kind of scare you a little bit? Yeah, it, it does. If a team were to draft them with the intention of them being more of a primary initiator, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, especially with Halliburton, I think Hayes has, you know, shown some improvement in that area a little bit. He's kind of, you know, throughout the past year or so, uh, his burst has been a little bit better. His frames filled out a little bit. I feel a little more comfortable with him being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Halliburton, that's just not really who he is, right? He's not really a primary initiator that's going to blow past guys. And yeah. that is concerning if he gets drafted to fulfill that role by a team, if their intention is for him to be that. But if he can be a little bit more of an ancillary player that, you know, maybe is playing off ball next to like some jumbo initiator 
that he can kind of be that secondary facilitator that can maybe cut and then kick it to the corner and kind of be a secondary engine that, you know, keeps the ball moving and keeps the offense flowing, gets out in transition sometimes, then he can, you know, really add value. But it definitely is concerning if someone tries to sort of fit a square peg into a round hole with their role when they draft them. Sure. Um, and then, uh, so yesterday, I guess, uh, Nate Hinton, uh, he's from our area, um, signed with an agent stuff, declared fully for the draft and everything. Uh, yep. Brought into my mind a couple of guys. I wanted to get your thoughts. Tyshawn Alexander, kind of the same thing. Nate Hinton, and then Pat Williams as well. He's kind of somebody who he's carried a ton of hype coming in, and uh, people still haven't really seen a lot of him. And he didn't really even have a, a big role at Florida State this year, yet he's still somehow yeah. climbing up the list. Um, so uh, Tyshawn Alexander, Nate Hinton, Pat Williams, obviously with the first two, Tyshawn and Nate, do they have a chance to get drafted? And, and what are your thoughts of them and where do you see them going? And, and then Pat Williams, speak a little bit toward him as to the kind of the unknown as to how he's still able to, to, to rise up into the lottery like he's doing. Yeah, so Pat Williams, I mean, I don't have my board officially sort of sorted out at this mm -hmm. point. I'm still working on putting it together, but Pat Williams is definitely going to be in the lottery consideration for me. and. Yeah. Uh, you know, to your point, there is some a little bit of mystery factor there and that he was coming off the bench for Florida State, ended up being the ACC sixth man of the year and was able to contribute to them to a good team. But, uh, you know, I think with him, it's kind of a matter of he can kind of fill that role as a modern hybrid forward and sort of do a lot of things and be like a glue piece within a team's lineup to kind of contribute in multiple ways. He's got the size, he's got the athleticism, uh, he's got the skill. I mean, I think you, you get a guy that is that young and has, you know, that many ways to contribute to a team and has that versatility to, like we were saying before, be able to stay on the floor in almost any high leverage situation. Uh, I think there's a lot of upside with Pat Williams, even though he wasn't like a high usage, like, uh, you know, high points per game, high minutes guy. I think that there's a lot of appeal there for him. Um, if we move on to the other guys that you were referring to, I think uh, Tyshawn Alexander, you know, he, he has a chance to go in the second round. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I think on his, on my sort of uh, consensus board that I have right now, he's in like the seventies range. Yeah. So very much like going to warrant some draft consideration in the second round. Um, Nate, Nate Hinton to me, uh, I think that what he brings to the table is kind of unique and interesting. And he fits the archetype of being an eventual role player in the NBA. Um, he's one of these guys that I sat down with for my remote film room series. And uh, of a lot of the guys that I spoke to, he was one of the most self-aware players in sort of knowing what he brings to the table and how he would eventually be able to add value at the next level. So a lot of times that can be a big hurdle for some of these prospects to jump is, you know, that they're the man in college and they are used to always, you know, having the ball, being high usage, like being a shot creator. Nate's already sort of, you know, playing that role at Houston and knows that at the next level, the way he's going to be able to add value is, you know, knock down some shots, knock down some spot up shots, and then, you know, be able to switch on defense, be able to guard up, guard down, 
mm-hmm. snag some rebounds and just, you know, give forth that effort and be a smart player and just get after it at all times. And, you know, I think he has shown capable of doing that at Houston and a lot of what he does, I think eventually can translate at the NBA. Uh, is he on the draft radar for the second round? It's not impossible. He could, he could get drafted in the latter half of the second round. And I don't think that would, you know, that's necessarily out of the question. It seems more likely than not that he'd be more in the undrafted free agent two-way contract mix. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that, you know, teams should certainly be taking a look at, at him in the second round because ultimately when you get to that point in the draft, you're looking for a player who can stick long-term as a rotation guy. And I think that he kind of fills that archetype pretty nicely. Especially with the lack of like draft and stash guys this year too, you know, yeah, that's what you go for in the second round, a draft and stash guy or a guy who can be a 10 year backup. Right. I think though too, after Nate kind of declared yesterday, I kind of dove a little bit into his synergy stuff. Mm -hmm. He has a bad rap for his shooting, looking through his synergy numbers, especially in the half court on spot ups, which is what he'll be doing in the NBA. He's actually a pretty good shooter. Yeah. And his numbers were actually really good last year in those capabilities where he struggled at a little bit was creating himself in the half court, getting by his man and stuff, but he's not going to be asked to do that at the next level. He is a high level defender. Um, I had Kellen Sampson came on my webinar and did a, um, did, did did a presentation on shell drill. And in that shell drill, he did um, uh, film from their games and stuff. Nate was 100% of the time in the right spot every single time on defense yep and probably a step ahead too right like he he's really good at anticipating what's going to happen and kind of being a a step or half a step ahead and being in the right spot so you know I think that translates both to the offensive end and sort of being able to relocate along the three-point line for those spot ups knowing where to be and on the defensive end for you know both being a help side guy to kind of come in and uh you know, deter some drivers from the weak side and recover to his man, kind of play in between as an off-ball guy and recover to close out. He just kind of knows where to be at all times, and that that's not something to be taken for granted. Yeah, and standing 6'5", 6'6", 205, whatever he is with length, I feel like his ability to be a high-level on and off-the-ball defender and a knockdown spot-up shooter, I, I, I'm kind of looking to see as to why he wouldn't go in the second round. Yeah, no, I mean, that's totally fair. I I think he's a guy that, you know, might not have been included on a lot of draft boards up until now because people weren't necessarily anticipating him staying in, right? Uh, You know, a lot of times these boards aren't as straightforward as ranking the top however many guys. They're kind of trying to project who's likely to return to school and might not include those guys. He's a guy I think you'll see rise a decent bit in the you know coming month or two or however long it is leading up to the actual draft whenever that happens uh I think he'll he's definitely deserving of second round consideration uh based on what we just talked about but you know we'll we'll see how it plays out but based on talking to the kid I think he's got a good head on his shoulders understands the game is self-aware and you know all of that sort of stuff in conjunction with the ways he adds value on the court I think he'd be a fairly safe bet in the second round where a lot of times people are just taking flyers. I think he has a good chance of sticking in the long run. And I, uh, I agree with you too. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as I feel like in this time, I think he's going to absolutely ace the interviews. I mean, the kid is incredibly bright, self-aware. He he knows the game. He knows himself. He's an articulate 
Um, yeah. He's going to be somebody that a GM gets on the phone, on the, on a FaceTime with him or on a, a Zoom call, and they're going to be blown away by his ability to interview and stuff. Um, totally agree. And, and Tyshawn Alexander, I think he's a kind of unique player, too, because you look at his numbers, his advanced stuff, like his defensive rating and everything, not great. That yeah. had, obviously, with the pace of play that Creighton played at, when you go and look at his, his ability against Marcus Howard, his ability against Miles Powell, what he did defensively against them, holding them under their, their averages every single yep. time he played against them. Um, when you add that together with, you know, his length and his jump shooting ability and his ability to pass the ball and see the floor, I think Tyshawn becomes a very interesting player there as well. Yeah, he's been a guy who's kind of been rising over the past couple months as well as people have – you know, as the season has stalled and everyone gets their chance to kind of catch up on some tape and, you know, do their due diligence. And then him kind of earlier on coming out and announcing that he was staying in the draft, signing with an agent, that's kind of, you know, caused people to dig a little bit deeper into him and see what he's all about. And, you know, to your point, like if you have a guy who was shooting 40% from three on six and a half attempts a game, 86% from the line, and you know, could step up in those big moments. There's a lot of big, uh, big time guards in the big East. Right. And mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, go up against them on a day-to-day basis and give those guys fits, I think is definitely, you know, something to consider. So uh, he's a guy that'll be getting some second round buzz for sure. Yeah. He's kind of just like Nate and the fact that he's just a, a safe pick, you know, not going to be sexy. He's probably never going to start or anything like that, but he, he'll latch onto a roster play some big minutes and eventually carve himself out a career possibly for a playoff type of team. It's just safe, a safe pick. For sure. And if you look at his synergy profile this year too, like his top three most frequent play types are spot up transition and then doing a little bit of pick and roll handling. Right. So being that kind of uh, role player guy that every once in a while can be a secondary creator from the wing when he's asked to all of those he ranked in the, you know, around 85th percentile in all of college basketball, pretty efficient. I think it's, you know, it's fair, a fairly clean fit. So, uh, you know, definitely a guy that I'd expect to get some second round looks and that's been kind of on the rise the past month or so. And then kind of winding down here, um, last kind of draft question. You look at James Wisen, you, you look at Onyeko Okongwu. Uh, yeah. Those are the top two five, clearly the top two fives in the draft. It kind of falls yep. off cliff after that who are some players after those two um i'm not gonna ask you which one you prefer um but who are the players after those two uh that, that are fives that should be taken into consideration and where do they kind of fall um you know in the draft yeah that's a good question so i guess i guess it depends how you view some of these guys whether they're fours or fives right mm-hmm. like i guess from a consensus perspective, you have your guys like Precious Achua and, uh, you know, you got Jalen Smith kind of in the mix. Both of those guys are four or five hybrids. Um, I don't necessarily prefer Isaiah Stewart or Vernon Carey all that much. Those guys uh, aren't as sort of clean of translations to me. Um, but the guys that I kind of find interesting that are in the kind of more in the late first, early second range, uh, you have Xavier Tillman from Michigan state who, you know, for him, the biggest question is the athleticism, right? Like he's, you know, six, eight, two forty-five, and, you know, doesn't really spring off the floor. Doesn't really pop that much athletically, but maybe the smartest player in the draft, the guy just gets, gets it. He is maybe the best 
short roll passer in the draft, which is a very coveted skill. I mean, you see, you know, another Michigan State alum, Draymond Green, feasting off of setting these high pick and rolls, mm-hmm. catching that short roll at the near the free throw line and making a quick uh, decision in an odd man situation, four on three type situation. Xavier Tillman just kills it at that and excellent rebounder despite not being the best athlete really good rim protector as well has I think maybe a 7-2 wingspan so and really great instincts that's a guy that I would absolutely bet on sticking in the NBA uh, for a long time well and I think too you mentioned Draymond Green something about Tillman that really his defensive advanced analytics really pops all, oh, all yeah. over the floor like he, he really pops defensively it's like it, you can uh, you know, you go to like sportsreference.com or something and, and you kind of t- try to tear down and see everything yep. you do on the defensive side of the ball. He's like top three in the country. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, depending on, it might vary between BPM. There's a new iteration of it now, the BPM 2.0. But in one of those iterations, he was number one in the country in box plus minus, which mm-hmm. for those who don't know, is sort of just an all-encompassing value metric. Yeah. Um, just really pops analytically was I, I think hands down the best interview I've had so far in these remote film rooms. The guy is just super mature, really gets it. I, I would absolutely bet on him as like a, a big that's a little further down, but I think is going to stick for sure. Um, and then I would also give a nod to Paul Reed. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is a guy I'm based in Chicago, so I've seen him a good amount of, of times in person uh, and his defensive impact is just ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's a really good athlete, you know, kind of opposite of Tillman. He really pops as an athlete. Um, But if you look at his sort of uh, impact numbers on defense, so, you know, your steal percentage block percentage as this kind of uh, four or five hybrid really, um, are stats that I tend to look at to see, you know, if this guy is going to be able to kind of pop at the next level and translate defensively, because those can be indicative of both, you know, your ability to make impact plays, but also your instincts on defense to be able to like make rotations and things like that. So a 3.3 steal percentage and a 9.7 block percentage is just, you know, ridiculous. And, uh, you know, another guy who's really on Paul Reed that I've noticed recently is uh, John Hollinger, who's joined uh, the Athletic, but former exec for the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, the guy who created PER. Uh, he's a guy that uh, John Hollinger has identified as sort of his uh, biggest sleeper in the draft. I think Hollinger has him at number 12 or 13 on his board. Um, and I think most of that being driven by the fact that he's – just going to immediately be an impact defender. Mm-hmm. And then offensively, he can add value by not needing the ball, right? Yeah. He can kind of cut, he can get offensive rebounds, he can, you know, do all those sort of small things and just steal himself, you know, four buckets a game just off of, uh, you know, hustle and cutting and, you know, not necessarily being a high usage guy. So I think that kind of translates really cleanly to being a nice role player uh, pretty early on. And I feel like, too, kind of you brought him up. I, I know I said that this was the last question, but you kind of brought up uh, Reed. Um, another guy kind of along the same lines of Reed, as people have really dug into the tape over this last month or so, is Tyler Bay. I, yeah. I, I, he's another guy kind of in the exact same mold as, as Reed. 
just a, a really, really guy who pops on defense with the multiple position versatility and stuff. Um, and, and then, you know, is, isn't as advanced offensively, but yeah. kind of role sticking in the league and, and, and you know, uh, on the defensive end. Yeah, no, I mean, he, his defensive similar type numbers, right, with the steal and block percentages are pretty off the charts. Um, I, I guess I'm not as high on Tyler Bay as uh, maybe I am with Paul Reed, but there's, there's definitely something there, right? Uh, you know, a guy who's shown definitely a lot of improvement over the past couple of years. He was the Pac-12's most Im- uh, improved player, similar to how Paul Reed was the Big East most improved player in 2018-19. And then both of these guys have kind of flourished this year and definitely warrant staying in the draft. Uh, for me, uh, you know, Tyler Bay and digging through the tape, I, I don't think it necessarily translates as cleanly as Paul Reed does. Um, and, you know, something that ends up kind of, I think, elevating him on some of these boards is his three-point shooting. You know, you see the 42% from three, and that's super alluring when you see that alongside the defensive stuff that we were talking about. But the the 42% from three is on one attempt per game. So it's kind of kind of tough to like really take a lot from that yeah um the free throw percentage is good though like 75 percent is totally respectable so it's not like he he is a bad bet to shoot uh but you know i i just kind of in having you know dug through the tape and watched the film on these guys i would tend to buy paul reed a little bit more than tyler bay personally but i think tyler bay is absolutely gonna be sort of in a similar range when it's all said and done in the draft and you know either the late 20s up through maybe 40 something like that kind of like early second round seems about right no doubt it, it, this draft is inter- interesting too because everybody's talking about it being down and stuff but it seems like there's actually you know with these last few guys that we talked about the reeds and the bays and the alexanders and hintons and desmond baines and there's some there's, there's some value and depth to be had within yeah you know, within this draft, especially in the, you know, in the second round, even the Grant Rillers of the world, all these points. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm glad you brought up Desmond Bain because, you know, I'll, I'll admit I'm somewhat biased because he was a PBC guy last year. So, um, you know, we had him at our event last year and he was a total stud at the PBC, really nice kid too. Um, And, you know, he, he came, he got the feedback from NBA teams at the PBC, had a boatload of interviews there in person with NBA personnel. And he truly took that feedback and like worked on that stuff and ensured that he implemented all that into his game. And, you know, in seeing him this year in a more on-ball role, he really flourished in making pick-and-roll reads and opening up his game as a handler and initiator for others. And I think that that you know, is a huge part in kind of propelling him as a legitimate draft candidate this year. And uh, for me, he's one of those guys that is, to me, an obvious first rounder, in my I opinion. I agree um, wholeheartedly, especially, especially he, if you get deeper and, and the teams are better. Like, I, I feel like yeah. he's, he's a ready-made guy who has small usage that could come in and fill a role immediately on a playoff-level team. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, how many guys are you going to find that are 6'6", 215, and a career 43 and change percent shooter from three on 500 plus attempts? Like, I mean, add in the secondary creation this year. And I mean, for, for me, the thing that he needs to work on the most is just 
being able to finish at the rim and he's a strong kid. He's really built. He's, he looks kind of like a football player, right? Like he's jacked, but just has a little bit of a tough time, like getting into the paint and, you know, his lack of length kind of limit him as a finisher at the rim. Sometimes if he can kind of figure out a way to harness his physicality and strength and use that to kind of displace guys on the way to the rim, uh, you know, add that to his game. And I mean, he's an sh- absolute surefire bet. That, that's, that's a kid that I would definitely take in the first round and that I think immediately comes in and can be a, you know, a role player on a, on a, you know, a contending team, as you were saying, a late first round team. If you pick him, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, the Lakers, the, any of these types of teams that are, you know, in championship contention, you know, he might, be able to come in and play some spot minutes on the wing and, you know, do some stuff that, uh, you know, can kind of, you know, take you up just a little bit of a level by getting a few minutes of contribution from a guy who's ready to come in and play. And he, he's young for a senior as well, which needs to be taken into account. I mean, he's younger than Obi Toppin mm-hmm. and only, you know, 15 months older than Precious Achua, right? Like a lot of these these guys that are the first round uh, freshmen and sophomores, he's uh, Desmond Baines only 21 and change right now. So to me, he's a definite guy that I would be investing in uh, in the first round. Yeah. I mean, and and, you know, he was a first team all league guy ahead of Tyrese Halliburton, who was second team, second league. I mean, he held countless records at TCU too. Yeah. You know, so he's performed at the highest level and stuff. But that kind of wraps up everything today. I've held you long enough here. That once the conversation, gets, I only have a list of like eight. But the, the conversation gets going, I just like to talk. Um, but let everybody know. I want you to go as in depth as you can and or as you want to. What what is professional basketball combine and what do y'all do? And, and uh, you know, just just give us give us the talk about. It. I want to hear all about it. Sure. Yeah. So this year would have been the, uh, the fourth year of it. So it's still to be determined if we're going to host it this year. It kind of just depends on how the uh, NBA calendar adjusts and when the draft ends up being and all that good stuff. So TBD on this year, but the, the whole genesis of it was when the new collective bargaining agreement started. Um, our founder, Jake Kelfer saw an opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, there were only 60 something, 70 guys being invited to the main NBA draft combine in Chicago. And there were going to be 60 more roster spots out there for NBA teams with the two way contracts. So um, these prospects that were more on the fringe needed an opportunity to get in a similar environment and show what they could do to team for teams. So uh, Jake founded the event back in 2017 and it's continued to grow and evolve over the past few years. We've had, um, you know, more than 10 guys get two-way contracts. Multiple guys end up leveraging those into full NBA deals. Um, you saw Kendrick Nunn uh, this past year, big standout, former PBC guy. Uh, Chris Silva ended up uh, being a two-way guy that ended up getting a guaranteed deal with Miami as well. Uh, the event is just meant to get these guys that aren't invited to the main combine that have some, uh, you know, some translatable skills and could potentially contribute, whether it's in the NBA, G League, or overseas, give them an opportunity to get in front of these uh, team personnel and kind of show what they're made of. Um, Awesome. And and give us us the website and where we can find the pro basketball stuff at, too, for more information. 
Yeah. So the website is professionalbasketballcombine.com. But where you're probably going to want to look for most of this stuff is on social media, on both Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pro B-Ball Combine. You'll be able to find right now uh, the content that's going up there is these remote film rooms. So uh, the Pro B-Ball Combine account will be tweeting out the full YouTube links for the episodes that are usually about 25 to 30 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, with me talking through these play uh, their games with these players. But uh, my account is at John Chep, J O N C H E P. Uh, and you'll see me posting um, all these remote film rooms as well as some, uh, you know, other draft analysis and kind of digging into this 2020 draft class. Absolutely. And uh, guys, I, I do recommend you going to at least the social media and checking it out. It's very good stuff. The, the conversations are great. And uh, it's, it's a nice little dive into uh uh, some players that you might not have heard of before, some players that you might want to find more information about and all that kind of stuff. I think they do a great job. So, uh, John, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Hopefully I didn't take up too much of your day. Uh, it's, it's always good just to talk basketball. Yeah, that was a great time, Jamie. It's good uh, good to get a change of pace here and, uh, <laughs> you know, talk with, talk with somebody else. It's, yeah. uh, it's an odd time right now. I really enjoyed this, though. Uh, you know, this 2020 draft is an interesting one, and there's a lot of uncertainty, but it was a great time talking through um, all the different levels of the prospects here and looking forward to see how things develop over the next few months here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, guys, thank you all very much for tuning in uh, uh, to the Absolute Basketball uh, podcast, our NBA talk and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for John, for John Kepkovic, please make sure you check him out on Twitter. Make sure you check him on social media and the basketball, uh, professional basketball combine as well. Uh, we'll see you guys later. Thank you very much.